0: Um, So, last week, I started speaking about this whole concept called authentic Christianity. Authentic Christianity, which by the very definition, uh, is an indication that there is something that is unauthentic about some dimensions of Christianity. And I walked you through the scripture. So, please, if you were not here last week, you're watching online. If you did not join us last week, for us to have a full for you to have a full grasp, even though I would, I would try and summarize it a little bit, but it's better for you to listen to the message last week. It will really help you. I, 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 you know, they've told me not to be saying things like this, but I'm actually a lot, I'm very excited about this message than I, than I was in preaching to the whole of our surprise this morning. Why? The reason is because if you understand these fundamentals and you're able to stay with it, It will give you the very stability that most people don't have. It will educate you and properly train you for you to maximize the full benefit of redemption. But this is the fundamental foundation. It will also protect you and prevent you from falling into deception. Okay? That's why I'm really excited about this and committed to doing this over the next weeks, months, to at least give you a feel of this. I'm really, really excited about it. Praise God. Okay, so we're talking about authentic Christianity, right? And I spoke last week about fake gospel, which produces inauthentic Christians, produces fake Christians. They hear the fake gospel. And it's a a gospel of pretense. It pretends to have a form of godliness, but denies the power that makes people godly. Okay, Christianity is not about joining a church. Christianity is not about joining a denomination. Christianity is not about joining a group of people. Christianity is not about community primarily. There's a part of it that's community, but it's not about community primarily. Christianity is not about belonging to a group of people primarily. You do belong to a group of people. We do life together, but that's not the first thing about Christianity. Christianity is about the life of God coming into human beings, and that life of God called eternal life. John chapter three verse sixteen: For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Is also the same thing in the Bible as eternal life. Okay, eternal is everlasting, everlasting life. So it's about having this life of God, okay, in us. And that life of God does two main things for us. Number one, it allows you and I to live the God kind of life. We call it godliness, God-likeness. So when you have that God kind of life, you are able, you are able to live, have the same God kind of conduct, Okay, that's one. Secondly, you're able to have God kind of quality. God kind of conduct and God kind of quality of life. What does that mean? God does not cry. Okay, God does not weep over circumstances. He that sits in the heaven laughs and so on and so forth. Okay, you're able to live a life of dominion while at the same time you have the conduct of godliness. People look at your life and they say, there's something different about you when they see your conduct and they see that is real, authentic Christianity. Okay? Real, authentic Christianity. Okay? But the fake gospel doesn't produce that. Then we we'll talk about the real gospel. And some, one key thing we spoke about, you hearing what the real gospel is, the real message of Christianity, is that Colossians chapter 1 verse 6, and I told you last week, I encourage you last week to remember it. You remember last week I spoke about it? Right. And I said, the key thing about this Colossians 1 thing is that the real gospel does work to lives. Come on, speak to me, church, please. Okay. It changes lives. So if somebody say, uh, this is, 20, this is 2022 now, January. Somebody says, oh, I'm a Christian. 2023, January. 2024, January. 2025, January. They're still the same kind of person. Nothing has changed in their conduct This is not about works. This is not about legalism. This is about the life of God in you. That life will produce certain things. Okay? It will move you towards godly conduct. Okay? So if nothing changes at all, you can learn changing lives just as it changed your lives. And it bears fruit everywhere. Everywhere. So whether in Canada, in America, in Africa, Caribbean islands, Central America, everywhere in Australia, New Zealand, everywhere for every kind of person in every kind of strata of society it changes lives. So if there's no part of your life that Christianity is affecting and changing the question then is that what you heard or what that person heard was it a true gospel? Because the true gospel doesn't leave us the same way. It challenges us and when we embrace that challenge, it changes us. Can I hear an amen? It's very quiet, but this is the real thing. This is the real thing. Okay. So last week I spoke about four key requirements of true Christianity. I spoke a little bit more about this now. The first one is you must have a conviction of the fundamental doctrines of Christianity. And there are seven of them. And they're very easy to remember. Seven of them. It starts with God... And it finishes with eternal eternity. Eternal eternity. Okay? It starts with God, man. Okay? Then you find sin. Right in the middle, number four, is Jesus Christ. Between sin and Jesus Christ, between sin, after Jesus Christ is salvation. Between sin and salvation is Jesus Christ. Then after salvation is the final judgment. After the final judgment is eternity what the Bible says about these seven things, you have, you and I must agree with. If we don't agree, if we have divergence of opinion on what the Bible says clearly about these seven things, then one of us is not a Christian. Are you following, guys? If we have a divergence of opinion, so you can't say to me now, I can't tell you now that, or if you tell me now that, the Bible says, Jesus Christ is the only way. Jesus said, I'm the way. Jesus Christ said, nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ said that. Okay? So that's what Jesus said. That's what the Bible talks about, Jesus. If you are telling me that now, and I'm telling you that, well, well, I know it's in the Bible somewhere, but, you know, I still believe that some people are still not, uh, you know, I still don't. That means I'm not a Christian. You are a Christian. Because we have to agree on that. Now we might not agree on some other things, you know, maybe the our style of praise and worship, we might not agree on it. We're not even agree on the fullness of the way we pray. That's fine. Okay? We might not agree on certain concepts like that. So but these seven things we all have to agree on. If we don't agree on it, then one of us is not a Christian. Does this make sense to you? Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. So, conviction on the fundamental doctrines, then the courage to witness to people, persuasion and commitment to share the love of Christ with others. Having been convinced about the fundamental doctrines then, we have to share Christ with other people, not in doing them a favor, not in doing church a favor, but there's a cry in you that wants to witness to other people you want to evangelize, okay, you want to reach out to other people and tell them about the love of God. God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He doesn't want you to go, to end up in damnation. God did not send his son into the world for the world to be condemned. I showed you all of that last week. But he sent his son into the world so that the world through him might believe. You want to share the gospel with him. I gave you examples of that last week. Number three, compassion for the needy. Our faith is what makes us do things that are inconveniencing to us. Okay? things that are inconveniencing to us, to reach out to the needy. It's what makes us sacrifice to be a blessing to other people. You know, in Christianity, we don't look down on people. A real person, a real Christian, that understands the concept of Christianity never looks down on other people. You know, In Christianity, what the gospel does is that it, it renews your mind for you to know that whatever privilege you are enjoying today you have, whether you're born into a higher class family than me, we're in the same class in school, but you are smarter than me, or you have a better job than me, whatever it is that you have that is better than mine, it's not for you to have those things and glory in them, and say, hey, look at me, I'm the valedictorian of my school, and he, this guy, he's not smart, he's also dumb, he doesn't do anything. No, that's not the real Christian attitude. The real Christian attitude is to use your privileges to help others. Is this making sense? Or am I the only Christian in the church? (laughs) this This is it. This is it. This is it. So you help other people. That's why we help people. Then we celebrate God's goodness. A real Christian is not the one that says, it's me and Jesus. I don't like to do church. I just want to do me and Jesus. That's not the real Christian. A real Christian does not run away from associating with other people. There is a part, a key and core part of our Christianity that has to do with coming together to celebrate the goodness of God. That is all written all over scripture. We have to agree on all of this. This is what makes a true Christian. So today I want to start exploring this a bit more like I told you last week. So today I want to talk about this conviction of fundamental doctrines. And I want to speak about the first part, God. Now, I'm really excited about this because, (laughs) trust me, some of these things, I wish I knew them when I was your age, trust me. They're so valuable, so simple, I should start with. They're very simple. You've heard of these things in different portions before. They're so simple, so fundamental. But if you are going to have a successful Christian life, you will need to understand. So today I want to tell you, Four, foundational understanding about God. So this is foundational. In other words, every other thing you're going to know about God, or learn rather, every other thing you're going to learn about God for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life as a Christian, every other thing you're going to learn about God is built on this. What does that mean, Pastor? What that basically means is this. If these four things, are not in place. Whatever else you learn about God, your Christian life cannot be stable. So if I ask somebody, what do you think about God? So I know that God is, um, God is all-powerful. Great, it is true. God is all-powerful. But if that is all you know about God, a time is coming when your faith will shake. These four things are the foundational plates on which the columns The pillars of your Christian faith will rest upon. This is what is going to keep your Christian faith stable. That no matter what happens in the future, you know that these things about God don't change. This is who God is. Is this making sense to anybody? Please learn this. They're very simple, but maybe you've never known that they were foundational. So they're not just fundamental, they're foundational to Christianity you have to know that this is who God is and it's not changing from it. So, your relationship, because Christianity is about relationship with God, right? So, your relationship with God, followership of Jesus Christ, however you want to phrase it, whether it's a relationship with God or followership of Jesus Christ, okay? Your relationship with God or followership of Jesus Christ, for it to be fruitful, productive, and and life-changing, these foundational things must be in place. Number one, are you ready? Come on, church. Are you ready? Number one, God is holy. God is holy. Somebody what is well, pastor, I wasn't expecting that. Good. God is holy. If there's only one thing, one thing that you should know about God, if you have to choose only one, this, this should be the one. If you have to choose only one, something about God, that, you know what? I know something about God. If we're in a class and somebody asks, what do you know about God? If you have to put up your hand and say only one thing, let it be this one. God is holy. The challenge about this concept of God being a holy God is that people have interpreted the holiness of God within the context of rules and regulations. So holiness to some people means this set of rules. Holiness to another set of people means follow this set of regulations. So people have moved away from this concept called holiness because they see holiness as rules that put people in bondage. That's not what I'm talking about at all. So just stay with me and I'm going to explain. God is holy. Because if you don't have this concept that God is holy, you are going to create a God in your own image that you will be serving. What distinguishes God from every other entity that claims to be God, one of those things are these funda- fund foundational things I'm teaching you. And one of them is, the f- this is the ki- this is a critical number first one. God is holy. And it means two main things in scripture. It means God has absolute purity and God has absolute integrity. Somebody say purity. Somebody say integrity. Let's say that again. Purity. Let's say integrity. You see, if you don't have this concept, you would think that God can make a promise to you and you fulfill the condition and suddenly God changes his mind. Because you're still going to learn some other concepts about God later on in the future. For example, you will learn that God is sovereign. Okay, These are other concepts about God. But if you don't know that God is holy, you will think, for example, in this church I happen Talking from a management perspective, management now, okay? Not, Not in terms of overseership, but management perspective. I'm the lead manager in the church, okay? By the grace of God. That's just part of the role I play, the lead manager in the church. All right. But that's just one dimension of what I do. All right. But, so if I make a promise, To somebody and say, I'd like you to come to church this Sunday. I guarantee you I'm going to give you a seat in front row. Okay? The person says, oh, I'm going to get a seat. I say, oh, no, I'm going to get you a seat in front row. I'm the pastor of the church. I'll get one for you. I'll tell the protocol team and the registration team to get you a seat. And the person gets excited about it. Then the person shows up and the sanctuary is full. No seat here. They're taking the person to the overflow. Then the person sends me a text and says, Pastor, I'm here. And oh, I'm so sorry, I forgot to tell the protocol team and the registration team, sorry, go into the workflow, some other time, I'll figure something out. You see, a man might be able to do that, but not God. God does not have that capacity. The day God does that, that's the day he stops being God. I don't know if you heard what I've just said. did you hear what i just said? The day God does that, it is the day Gods, because once God does that, it's no longer holy. Holiness is the capacity to have integrity. Integrity is from the word integra. It means it cannot be divided. It's whole. What He is inside is what it is outside. So if God does not have the capacity to lie, neither does he have the capacity to forget what He wants to do. Are you hearing me? So that's why he said in Psalm 89 verse 34, once I have sworn in my holiness to David, I I will not break my covenant. I will not alter the word. I will not alter the word that I've gone out of my lips. Why will you not alter it? Look at the the next thing. Keep going. I have sworn in my holiness. Once you understand God's holiness, you know that whatever God says, that's it it's going to keep it if you ever see anybody in Christianity that don't have a problem in believing God in believing the word of God it is because they've come to understand that God is a holy God is this making sense to somebody here then God has absolute purity the beauty of absolute purity with God is that <laughs> you know God is completely holy absolute purity God has no contamination in him at all. So, no matter what God, if anything God is saying, is doing, or not saying, or not doing, it's not been contaminated by anything outside of him. So, I, I promise this one. I'm going to buy you, son. I'm going to buy you. I'm promising that. I'm going to buy him. Let's assume I'm saying to I'm going to buy you an iPhone, iPhone 13. But the guy jumps and says, Oh, praise God, thank you, Pastor, praise God, that's awesome, that's fantastic. So I call the guy, I say, Please go to the Apple store, get me iPhone 13. I promise David I'm going to give it to him. So the, the guy's on his way, meets somebody on the way. The person says to him, Where are you going? He her, Pastor just sent me to Apple store to buy iPhone 13. What does Pastor want to do with iPhone 13? Oh, he wants to give it to David. Which David? Oh, David, so-and-so. Really? so and so. Really? I don't know if you told Pastor. Do you know that David is this, David is this, and David is that? You might want to go and tell Pastor that before you go. Then the person comes and tells me, oh, Pastor, are you back? No, I'm not back, Pastor. "Uh, David, I was on my way. I met this guy that knows David very well. They live in the same room in the university, and these are the things he told me. I just wanted to let you know. Then here, I changed my mind. God doesn't work that way. Are you hearing something about this? God cannot be contaminated by outside information before he says something, he already knows everything he's going to say. So by the time he says what he's saying is the conclusion after thinking through everything. Then he now says it. And because it's pure, there's nothing that contaminates what he's saying. Are you hearing what I've just said? You need to know this. God is completely pure. He's completely, he has complete integrity. So let's look at the few scriptures and you will see, you will see how this... In Leviticus, God says, you shall be holy... The son of Israel. He said, For I am holy. You know what he saying? You shall be pure. Okay? And you shall be pure and have integrity because become holy. Now, when you see this word holy, usually you will see this kind of word around it the word defile. So the word defile is the word contaminate, which I just explained to you a little bit now. Are you following? Church, are you following? So he's saying that you shall neither defile yourselves. So when you see the word holy, it's talking about defile. So look at the scripture, Leviticus eleven forty-four, Leviticus 11, 45, You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. God kept on telling the children of Israel, you've got to be holy. And God kept on introducing himself as the God that is holy. Leviticus 19, verse 2. Speak to all of the congregation, God told them. Every part of the congregation. So this is not for pastors. It's not for leaders of the church. It's for how many people? All. All congregation. Be holy. It is a lie of the devil to say that, well, you know, people that really want to get close to God, people that really want to get, you know, if you really want to be a leader, then you know, you've got to be holy. But for people that are just starting out, you know, no. God says all the congregation, it is a commandment, it's an instruction from God to be holy. And I'm going to tell you in a few minutes, what it means practically for you and I. And God says, you shall be holy. Leviticus 19 verse 2. But somebody might say, well, Pastor, Leviticus 19 verse 2, Leviticus, and there are many scriptures in the Bible, I'll just choose these ones. Oh, this is all in the Old Testament, in the New Testament now. God doesn't want us to be holy anymore. That's not true. First Peter chapter 1 verse 15 to 16. First Peter chapter 1 verse 15 to 16. But as they are, he who called you is holy, you also be holy, in all your conduct. So holiness shows up in conduct. Amen. It shows up in conduct because it is written, be holy, from holy. So God wants us to be holy in our conduct. He wants us to be pure. Friends, listen, listen carefully to me. We're talking here now about authentic Christianity. This is not condemnation. God does not condemn anybody. He sent his son to the world not to condemn people. But so that people that believe in him, through that believing in Christ Jesus, they can actually be redeemed. Okay? If anybody has fallen into any particular thing, God does not condemn people. He wants restoration. He wants redemption. Christ is here today not to input iniquities into people or trespasses into people, but to reconcile them to God. But there can be no reconciliation until there's an acknowledgement of where we were wrong. And there can be no acknowledgement of where we were wrong if we don't know what is wrong. <laughs> Are you hearing me at all? If there's no you acknowledgement. You don't know. You don't know. You will know, you, don't, you will know you're wrong. You know? You know, if I told you, oh, come to church, uh, invite somebody to come to the house of praise, and they showed up and they're in, uh, they're in Toronto, you know, someplace in. On Bay Street and they park in the front of a building and they're telling you, I'm in front of a building, there's nobody in the church, and you're telling them, I'm here, where are you? You say, I'm in charge. You say, but you're not in charge, I can't find you. The person might be arguing with you because both of you, your point of reference is different. But if you tell the person, tell me the address of where you are, the person says, I'm in 200 Bay Street. Oh my goodness, that's not the church. I told you, 3105, the Oh my god. Then the person puts that new address in the GPS then the GPS is recalculating and now recalculating the GPS doesn't condemn you no matter how many times it just recalculates (laughs) it says recalculating and recalculates and tells you you're now 45 minutes away from the place then wisdom now demands that you now turn around and you start walking towards it but it all starts from you getting the right coordinates true or not That's it. It's the same thing with God. It gives you the right coordinates so that based on the right coordinates, you can now by the Holy Spirit now, change your direction. God is saying we should be holy in our conduct, in our behavior, in our lifestyle, and in our quality of living. One of the key areas, listen to me, where people struggle a lot with the whole concept of holiness is in the issue that everything has to do with their body. So, because of that, people have come to say, well, you know, holiness... Is just an ideal state. Uh, some people say, well, holiness is spiritual acting. It's just about your spirit. Once your spirit is holy, then everything is fine. That's not true. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, pardon me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Are you ready to learn? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. No, actually, it's Romans chapter 12. Let's start from verse 1. I beseech you by the message of God. It's Romans chapter 12. I beseech you by the message of God, keep going then, that you present your what? Speak to me, church, your what? Your body, not your spirit now, your body. Your body, your body. So God wants us to do something with our body. He wants us to be holy. The places where people struggle the most about this whole idea of purity is in sexual purity. It's in sexual purity. And people say, Pastor, seriously? You think God, does this really apply today with all the pressures that are going on today? Absolutely. Isn't, I have to, and I have to let you know this. There is no pressure that is going on today in 2022 that was not going on as at the time the Bible was written. There are prostitutes in the Bible. There is adultery in the Bible. There's fornication in the Bible. There's homosexuality in the Bible. There's incest in the Bible. All manners of strange The, the things going on today, the things that are, went on in the Bible, it's strange. Very strange things happen in the Bible. Incest is in the Bible. All manners of things happen in the Bible. Okay? So the Bible is teaching you and I that there's no pressure, there is no temptation that man is facing today that is not common to man since creation. But the Bible also tells us that they were men, even in the Old Testament, that did not have access to the resources you and I have today, that were still able to live a life of purity, including sexual purity. Joseph was the man like that. That Potiphar's wife said, lie with me, lie with me. And she said, he said, no, 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 no. And he said, because I fear God, I cannot do that. If I do this, it will be a great sin against God. And he left. In today's world, somebody will say, what's the big deal? I mean, you didn't ask her, she asked you. So what's the big deal? Get on on with it. I mean, you want to lose a job because of that? Hey, are you dumb? Go ahead. But Joseph said, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm going to present myself as a living sacrifice. Are you hearing me? Maybe it's, you know, I'm talking about God. I'm not really getting into nitty-gritty of the weeds of, uh, of, of sexual immorality and how to get out of it. But maybe one of the things I should let you know is this. Everything God tells you and I to do There's not one that is for the benefit of God. There's nothing God has ever told, written in the Bible, nothing that God wrote in the Bible that is for God's benefit. Everything God wrote in this book, everything he wrote there and instructed you and I to do is completely for our benefit. Jesus came to the earth not for the benefit of the Trinity or for God the Father. He came to the world for us. For God sent his son into the world that whosoever believed in him should not perish. God had no danger of perishing. It was you and I had the danger of perishing. Are you following? That's what, the way the Bible says that his commandments are not burdensome. Okay? They're for our own benefit. Anyway, so holiness in our conduct, then integrity, whereby your word is your word. You know, you know, you know, you, know, it, it's, you have to understand that it's anathema It's completely contrary to the Christian nature for you to have a guy in church that goes to this lady, ask her out, goes to this lady, ask her out, in the same church, goes to this lady, ask her out, comes to this lady there, ask her out. He said, that's not a Christian. Huh? No, that's not a Christian. No, that's not not Christianity. That's not Christianity. And when someone asks him, what's what's wrong with you? What are you doing? He said, well, you 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 never know a little here, a little there. Who knows which one will prosper? No, that's not Christianity. That's not Christianity. For you to, you know, to be at a particular, you, you, and you, you built a life on lies that have to be unraveled layer after layer like you're peeling onions. That's not Christianity. There should be integrity. Do you, do you know the level of freedom that comes to a man or a woman that doesn't tell lies. You can't even believe that level of freedom that just comes to you when you when you build your life on speaking the truth. The Bible tells us that you know speaking the truth is a defense. It's a defense. Integrity is a defense. It, it's it's you know if somebody says for example now you know you come over you want to check this you want to check that you want to there's nothing to hide. When you don't have anything to hide, I'm telling you, you can't even imagine how much of a freedom that is to you. And so, as a result of the Father, you understand that God is a holy God. Can I hear an amen from somebody here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The second thing I want you to understand about God, apart from the fact that God is holy, is that God is just. Oh my God, this is amazing. Once you understand certain concepts about God, this is the second foundational, foundational, remember, concept you need to understand about God in terms of Bible doctrines. God is a just God. What does that mean? It means God is absolutely committed to his laws and his principles. You know, so you find Christians today that don't want to follow God's instructions and they have a lopsided over exaggerated view of one dimension of God. Let me explain that. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. You see, God is a God of mercy. How many of you know that? God is a merciful God. It's true. I once got a group of teenagers, did a focus group for them, gave them a piece of paper, a form, and told them to fill. And one of the questions was, what is it that you love about God the most? 90% of them is that God is merciful, is forgiving. So I came out of the place and said to my God, what have these teenagers done? (laughs) That the part of God they love the most is that God is forgiving. But you see, God is committed to his principle. Let me explain something that will help your Christianity. One aspect of God does not cancel another aspect of God. It complements it. The fact that I'm a pastor does not mean I've, I've stopped being a husband to my wife or I've stopped being a father to my children. It just complements it. Make sense? God has fidelity to his principles and his laws. Naturally, as human beings, it's our human nature, to have a mentality that we are above the law, it's just natural. Last year, September, we had a program in our surprise here that was titled... 30 days of power with PWA. The whole month of September, we're just, you know, I was teaching, you know, we're teaching people and, you know, praying. We're doing all of that. So, but there was a simple rule that was put in place for people that are interested because we needed just a limited number of people for space, okay? And part of it was that you have to, if you're logging in at a particular time, 7 p.m., you can't come into the meeting once you're over 10 minutes late, that's number one. And for the 30 days period, you only have the liberty to miss only one class. After you've missed only one session, you don't have the liberty of missing two. You're not going to have, you won't be able to miss the second one. Okay? If you miss more than one, you cannot continue. So in my own house, my own biological son, I had to go and play basketball with his friends. First one. So, uh, dad, can I go play basketball? So he asked me as dad, can I go and play basketball with my friends? I said, why, why not? You can go go and play basketball. Go and play. Go and enjoy yourself. So he went to enjoy basketball with his friends. So he didn't come for one of them. About four or five days later, he asked my wife if he could go play basketball again. You know, people think they're very wise. He asked me once. He asked my wife once. My wife said, Oh, sure, sure, why not? Go have phone, go phone, Your friends are calling you, go ahead. He went. Then, one of those occasions, after I come, he has missed two classes. He's not trying to log in. The link told him, sorry, you, have, you cannot log in, or something, something. So I just saw somebody rushing down the stairs. Brrr. Hello, young man, what's going on? He said I was bounced out. I said, You were bounced out from where? He said, From the I couldn't, I can't get in. I said, what happened? What did you do wrong? What, did you, what was wrong? He said, well, I only missed two classes. I said, but you know what the law says. The rule says you can't miss one them." He said, yeah. He said, but you're the pastor, right? I said, I'm the pastor. Yeah. <laughs> he said, dad, do something, dad. I said, no. Dad has no power to do anything. Just like every other dad in every other living room around the city that is joining us has no power to do something. He said, but you're the pastor. I said, yeah, I, said, I can't help you. I'm sorry. The rule is the rule. He looked at me, strange. I said, try your luck. You know what to do if you want to help yourself. So he went to pick up the phone call I said, because, you know, it, it has access to some people. It has, they don't buy. He said, hello, this is me. You know, yeah, hello, yeah. Sorry, uh, something just happened quickly now. I'm kind of like uh, I was trying to log in and couldn't log in. I don't know what's going on with my laptop and all of that. <laughs> Some people so I just came back and I'll do this in my basement, in my library. I just came back up and I said, he said I was able to get in. I said, how who got you in? But I'm just trying to say that no matter how young you are, it's already inbuilt in you as human nature to circumvent the rules. So when we give our lives to Christ, we carry that mindset. And if you're not careful, you hear some extravagant view of God in the area of God's message that it doesn't matter, you can go and do what you are got to do. God is a merciful God. And it is true God is a very merciful God. But you have to balance that with the fact that God is a just God. You need to live in this balance. Are you hearing me, church? You must live in this balance. God says, for example, ask and it shall be given. It's a law. Why is it a law? Because it tells us the converse. You have not because you ask not. So, if you wouldn't pray, don't get upset if you don't receive anything. Because God cannot grant what you have not requested. Okay? So it's a law. So here you are, you don't want to ask. You don't want to pray. Then you get to a point in your life now where you have, you have a serious need. And you're saying to yourself, I don't, know, I don't even know why God is not giving this to me. I don't know why God is the God loves me. You should understand what I do. But the Bible tells us that already in Matthew chapter six verse eight, your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Matthew chapter six, verse eight, your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Did you see that? Matthew six eight, right? Matthew seven seven, Jesus is still speaking in the same sermon called Sermon on the Mount. Matthew seven seven, ask. So the same Jesus that is standing on the mountain teaching in the same sermon at the same hour told you you're asking God for something, Say asking God for gainful employment, it's not an information session. You're not informing God about your need. He knows. He's omniscient. However, because it is a law of the spirits that you cannot be given what you have not requested because the time God did it, he gave Adam Eve, which Adam did not request. So when Adam got into trouble, he told God, the woman you gave me, and by the way, I didn't ask. So God said, all right, okay, let's put the law in place. You have not, because you ask not. That law today has limited what you and I can do without prayer. So God is just. Are you following this now? So every principle you see in the Bible, God is just. God is just. This principle also teaches us because for the Bible for example, the Bible tells us whatsoever a man sows, that's what he will reap. This is the reason why it's easy. When you understand that God is just, it will be easy for you to forgive people. The reason why sometimes it's painful to forgive is because I'm thinking the Bible this Pre- all these preachers keep telling me, forgive, you've got to forgive, don't hold offenses. But am I might not going to hold offenses? But do you understand what she did to me? Do you understand what he did to me? He did this to me, he did this to me, he did this to me. And I, I feel so bad and pained. Because you feel that when you forgive people, you have let them go, you've absorbed them of any consequence of their actions. That's not true. When you forgive people, what is actually happening is that you have removed yourself from the decision-making process about the end results of their actions. Let me repeat that. When you let it go, you forgive somebody, you have removed yourself from the decision-making process of what the end result should be. You've left that decision-making to the principles of God. Whatsoever a man sows, so he will reap. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 tells us that. So you leave the blessing. And because God is just, the person suddenly finds out. Jacob comes. He deceives his father, Isaac. He just gets the blessing. Okay? He carries the blessing with him. He goes around and he's thinking, oh, fair enough. I got it. Nothing is wrong. He met Esau along the line. You read your Bible very well. You find that in the book of Genesis. He met Esau. Esau said, don't worry about it. I'm fine now. I'm good now. Esau has forgiven him. Esau has no problem with him at all. Esau has forgiven Jacob. No problem at all. They hugged each other. They kissed each other, okay, not on the lips, but you know, Middle Eastern type of kissing, which is, you know, on the side. You follow? All right. The twin brothers, okay? So they did that, they hugged each other, greeted each other affectionately. Then Jacob goes. Jacob thinks thinks to himself, Finally, I'm good. Jesus <laughs> forgiving me. I got a blessing. Thank, 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 just thank God I just did it the way I did it that time. That's great. Only for him to sit in his house. One day his own sons showed up exactly what he did to his own father. And they came, they deceived him also. His own sons came, deceived him. First and foremost, his wife deceived him. Okay, His wife stole something from, his, from her father's house and didn't tell him. And the consequence of that thing was death and the wife deceived him. And Jacob made the pronouncement, whoever has taken those household goods, let the person die. The wife did not tell him that I've taken it. And the wife deceived him. And what happened? The wife died. A child died. Then now, his sons come back. Ten of his sons that went out, came back, and they disciples and said, Joseph is dead. And for many years, he was in sorrow thinking Joseph was dead. Until the same sons came back another day. Can you imagine? Same sons. And came back and said, actually, Joseph is alive. So, the consequences are not erased because God is just. Amen? Are you learning something about God today? This is what gives your Christianity stability. So you understand, God is holy, number one. Number two, God is just. Let's just look at a few scriptures to back this up. Look at this. God is a just judge. Just stop there. He's angry with the wicked every day. It's true. And I can explain part of the concept of this to you. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 4 says, the soul that sins must die. So because God is just... The consequence of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. So, how does God now solve the dilemma? Well, let me finish everything I'm going to say and I will, I will tie everything up by telling you how God solves the dilemma in that area. But for now, know that God is a just judge. Isaiah 45 verse 21 says, God speaks. God is the one speaking here. He said, Have not I the Lord? And there's no other God beside me. God is the one speaking. And look at how God describes himself. A just God. That's how God is describing himself. It's one thing for somebody else to describe you. It's another thing for you to introduce yourself. God said, I'm a just God. Savior, and there's none beside me. Please keep that in mind. It will help you in your Christian growth. God is holy, which means he's pure. He has absolute purity, absolute integrity. Also note that he has is a just God. He has absolute commitment to his laws and his principles. Amen. Number three, God is love. Usually, when you ask somebody, what do you think about God? You say, "Oh, God is a loving God. God is love. We just sang the song now. Reckless love. This is one dimension of God that everybody seems to agree on. <laughs> that God is love. And it is true. God is not just loving. God is love. But the biggest deal about God being love, please hear me very carefully, is this. Two things, actually, I want to say to you about this part. part. Okay? Because love is God's nature. Please understand. The two biggest deal about the love of God is this. One, the love of God does not cancel cancel every other dimension of God. It only complements it So don't think that because God is loving, that love overrides every aspect. That's not true. Because that's what some people preach and they continue insane. And they say that ultimately love wins. No, ultimately love does not win. Ultimately the word of God will stand forever. The grass will wither, the flower will fade, but the word abides forever. That's what the scripture teaches not love wins. The love of God does not cancel every other dimension of God. It only complements it. Amen? Okay. Love. So the second thing I wanted to know about love is this. I I like this a lot. It will help you. I don't know if it's it's going to have the impact on you, it had on me. God is love. And God loves you. But what excites me about this is that God doesn't love me. Let me say you. God doesn't love you and me. No. It don't, it, don't, it don't have the same impact I want it to have. Let me, let me say it this way. God doesn't love you because you're a lovable person. He doesn't love you because there's something to be loved about you. Don't feel bad, don't feel bad. It's a good it's good news. It's actually good news. God doesn't love you because you know, you know, you know, you know, when a when a guy comes to you, walks to a lady and says, guess this is a lady, I love you. You know and the lady says, "I love you too." you know frankly speaking, the, when we, the way we say love all right particularly between the man and a lady is not the Bible love. The Bible love is love that is completely selfless has got nothing for me to benefit out of it has everything for you to benefit out of me That's bible love so 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 when, when my wife calls me or I call her we we'll wrap up usually by love you, oh, love you too. Okay? And you know, I've been married 26 times, right? Every year, 20th of December, I get married. Okay? Just happened that 26th to the same woman. So, but we say, we say that. But the point I'm trying to make here is that God loves you, God loves me, not because there is anything in my life that makes me a lovable person to God, but God loves me because His own nature is love and it cannot, it cannot transmit anything from him outside of the concept of love. Are you hearing me? That helps me then to know that the love of God for me will never change. What I did yesterday is not what God, made God love me. And what I will do tomorrow is not what will make God love me less. Are you hearing what I've just said now? Because if what God's love for me is based on me being lovable, I will have to keep up appearances. You know, you guys are all very young now, which is great. By the time you, you know, in a few more years, and all that, and some of you are at that point, you, know, you get married, you will really understand what I'm saying. <laughs> you really, really, really understand what I'm saying. Okay, by the time you've married for some years, you will understand God loves you. You don't have to put up a, you know you know you know when you're going out with somebody, you're going to see somebody. Okay. So here you are you are living in the um, western part of the greater Toronto area. You live in Oakville. Uh, you have a girlfriend that lives far east Oshawa. Okay, and you're going to see her. I don't know about how you guys do it these days but you want to look the part a little bit. Is that right? Come speak to me Christians. Is that right? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta look the part. You want to look the part a little bit, I and mean, you know, you want to you want to give yourself some, you know, you want to look the part, you know. At least the first thing the person should be able to say when he say, "Oh, you look nice." Oh, thanks. So, like, it was just accidental. <laughs> <laughs> but it was never accidental, you know. One day I saw my son in my in my closet. I just saw him come out of the whole place. He, he went by me, and he was like he has taken three gallons of cologne on his body. Ah, even me, I, own the, I don't use the cologne like this. What's going on? So I went back there and said, hey, 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 this sounds like this is like my cologne. What is going on here? He said, nothing. I just. I, I said, ah, no, no, no. When I was a teenager at this age, and I started using cologne, something is happening. Something, tell me what eggs. He said, no, that I'm telling you that. I said, tell me, something is going on. By the time you're using three gallons of cologne, Something is going on. It looks like it's accidental. Someone says, Oh, oh, well, I like what you're wearing. It's, it's, it really looks oh well. I just no, I just put it on. You didn't just put it on. You spent 90 minutes in front of the mirror putting everything together. It looks almost casual, but it wasn't really casual. Anybody understand what I'm really saying here? You know, you're trying to, you're going out with the person. So it's based on, the person says you're looking nice, based on what, I love you, based on, then the person says I love you, then the following time, you have to keep up these appearances. Then you get married. When you get married, there's a covenant that has been entered into. The marriage is now, the, the love is now moved from what you're doing to a decision that has been made. Are you following now? So when you say I love you right now, It's not based on what the person is wearing or not wearing in the marriage now. It's not based on how they're looking and how they're not looking. Because you've seen their best state, you've seen their non best state. Let's just put it that way. Come on, guys, are you following this now? You've seen them on their best days, (laughs) and you've seen them, let's put it this way. You've seen them in the church way, and you've seen them in the non church way. Some of you guys, you are going to be completely shocked. Let's just leave it that way. Just just leave it that way for now. You're you you here e for the biggest shock of your life. Just wait when you get married. When you want to compliment, and you just try to compliment your the wife, then you realize there's nothing. Just, just, sorry about that, but. Then you say, Jesus, you say, what, 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 what does that mean? Well, you, well, don't worry, don't worry, just keep living. You want you, this message is on YouTube, you go back and play it. <laughs> you say, well, it passed on me five years ago. But anyway, but you see, the love has moved beyond all of that. Can I hear an amen? You know, my, my mom, my mom passed on five five years, five years ago and some months. She passed on in 2016. August, she was 71 when she passed on. True life story, she was 71 when she passed on in 2016. I've been married to my dad for 48 years then. You know. My mom and my dad, and I'm not suggesting that everybody should practice this. Even me, I don't practice it that way, but that's just their own relationship. Fact. They eat from one plate. They eat from the same plate. I mean, like, it shocked me. I couldn't understand it. I don't understand. <laughs> but they love true. They wait for each other wait for each other, dish the food, and they start from... Even if they dish the food separately, they still take move it from this one, then go to the second person's own. I said, well, I can't understand this. But you see, the love has graduated. They're not even thinking about actions. Are you following what I'm saying? They loved each other. It was a, it was a strong bond that they had. The love is no longer based on what you're doing. It just gives you security in your relationship with God. God loves me today exactly the way he loved me yesterday. He will love me tomorrow exactly the way he loves me now. The love of God for me does not fluctuate because God's, by very nature, is love. It is my own love for God, my own response to his love that fluctuates. I don't feel, if any time you say, I I just don't feel like God loves me, it's because you have moved away, not because he has moved away. He's still there, but you're the one that moved away. When you're ready to come back, you come back in this dispensation. A dispensation is coming. That's why the Bible says draw near to him by the time, call upon him when he's near. A time is coming when the dispensation will not be there. But in this dispensation, you can still come back to him. Is it making sense to anybody here? Let's look at a few scriptures quickly. You know this scripture very well. You should know it. You should know this scripture. God is love. But another scripture you should know, which I did not write here, Is Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3. Put it on the screen there, on the board there. Jeremiah 31 verse 3. Please note this. I'm going to give you two more scriptures since you know about love. Look at what it says. The Lord has appeared of old to me saying, what is God saying? Yes, I have loved you with what? What kind of love? So come on, speak to me. What kind of love? When I I see that word everlasting love, what it means is because we have all these devices at home today. Even this device I'm using right now, it runs on the battery. The time I come when I press it, it's just not working. And what's going on here? Then we have to go and change the battery. But when I see everlasting love, it means it's going to be forever powered love. You don't need to change the battery. God's love will never go down. It will continually be functional. Okay, in your life, everlasting love. So let's, this is Old Testament. Let's look at New Testament. John chapter 13, verse 1. John 13 and verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own, loved his own, who are in the world—that's you and I now, all right—represented by the disciples. Look at it now. He loved them to the what? To the very end of our lives. He loved them. Now, he loved them to the very end. This "them" is talking about the of those people that are. Part of that them is the one that denied him. Part of that them, okay, is the one that did not believe in him. Thomas, it's all part of that them, but he loved them to the very end. God loves you. Somebody say God loves me. Yeah, this gives you security in your relationship with God. Sometimes someone say, "Well, I just don't feel like praying. I feel God is really, 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 you know, God must be feeling so, feeling so disappointed in me." Really, frankly speaking, frankly speaking, think about it you think your actions have now just suddenly caught God by surprise. Like God is saying, eh, "Ah, I can't believe. Come, Jesus, Jesus, come quickly, come. Can you imagine this boy? Look at this girl. Ha! I can't believe this girl. You think you're catching God by surprise. You have to understand something about God is omniscient. He knows the kind of girl you are. He knows the Okay, don't, don't, don't respond to that. Don't say amen. Okay, he knows the kind of guy you are, all right? He knows the kind of person you are. Then he, he picked you in the midst of all of that. And he loved you, prompted you, saved you, saw you going through your struggles, decorating you, challenging you with messages like this. Now, he knows what your end is going to be. It's not caught by a surprise. Your temporary failure is not, not an affront against the authority of God. It's an opportunity for God to prove his everlasting love to you. Let me say that again. Your temporary failure is not an affront against the authority of God. It's an opportunity for God to prove his love for you. So yes, you are falling, but don't stay in your falling states. You rise up again and get restored to God. Come on, give Jesus some praise. I'm going to teach on this idea of love in more depth because there's too many people today that have a lot of fear about things. But the Bible says perfect love is what casts out fear. There is no fear in love. When you know that you know, and you know, for somebody like me, it makes tremendous sense because I've seen both sides. Growing up in Africa, under a typical alpha male African dad, African parent, we, know there's a Most people that grew up in my generation, most people that grew up in my generation never understood the concept of love from their parents. I did not say our parents did not love us. I said we didn't understand. For example, I never heard my dad say I love you. I mean, it's completely contrary to everything African inside him. An African parent of my dad's generation will look at the children. There are some, you know, there are some, but they're in the minority. In my father's generation, people were born in the 40s, 30s, 20s, okay, 1920s, 1930s. In Africa, you look at your son going to school (laughs) and say, "I love you." Unbelievable! Even if he says that, you won't believe it. No, they were schooled to put fear in us. It worked for us, you know. They believed, you know, the fear worked for us. So. You know, they put fear in us. The, the, the fear of your father or your mother is the complete beginning and the end of all wisdom. You feared them. You feared them. So I understand that part. But I also understand my own days now how my own children, how they relate with us, with my wife and I. I'm, I'm shocked. I'm surprised. I can't believe it. <laughs> Praise God. I see what the love does, How the level of security gives them in a relationship. What, the boldness it gives them to ask incredible things. Amen. <laughs> you know how to ask incredible things, things that they expect you, and they they're not ready to take no for an answer. And I say, okay, so this is where I really this is really going to be helpful for my faith. If I believe God really loves me like this, I will be able to ask and expect God to respond to me on this level, because I've come to be secured in the fact that the person loves me. Amen. I said, Amen. Amen. When I saw him very young, and one of the reasons we had traveled and gone on holiday, and this was, was younger this time. So, uh, you know, in the first set of years when we went on holiday, when he was born, since he was very young, you know, when we asked for a place to stay, we normally will ask for a room or a place to stay. And when we get the place, we ask for this, um, this um, sofa that you can open up and becomes a bed. You follow? And we dump him on it, you know, we dump him there. Then, he started going up, then of course, started dumping, putting him in his own room. Then one time were going on holiday, and this guy came with a whole long list, long release of demands. In his room he would like to have um, TV set, He'd like to have his own stuff, not just TV set, he needs a series of channels, post channels that he needs to be able to watch. Because basketball season is what we are, and you are deciding that you're going to holiday now, and I have to follow you, so I need my basketball to continue. He will need all of this. He needs this. He needs this. Have I checked the hotel? Do they have very wonderful breakfast? Yes, they do. Comparable. You mentioned one or two hotels here in Toronto that we go to for breakfast. Is it comparable with that? Yes. You also need this and need this. Do they ha- Ah! I'm looking at it and saying to myself. Unbelievable. When I was your age, I, I didn't... My, my dad... If my. If we go on holiday, my dad just tells me, we're going to the village. Village, that's the holiday. He just says, we're going to the village tomorrow. That's, your dad is going to the village tomorrow. You pack your thing. By 7 a.m., everybody gets into the car. If by 7 you're not in the car, you've already broken the 11th commandment. You've broken 10 that God gave, and you've broken the 11th one he gave. You know, it was that bad. But because they, they understand love, they're able to ask for more things. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You have to understand God loves you. God loves you, and He loves you deeply, and that love is not changing. All right. Okay, let me complete it today. This is the fourth fundamental thing you need to know about God. God is unlimited. Everything God has, He has in unlimited measure. Please write it down. Four things, talking about fundamental, foundational doctrines about God, things you need to know about God, that will help you. You can build on this as you build on your relationship with God. The first one is that God is holy. God is pure, holy, absolutely pure, and has absolute integrity. Second thing is that God is just. He has absolute com- commitment to his laws and principles. The third thing is that God is love. The characteristics of his love is that God is completely selfless. This will help you because every instruction of scripture you read or you hear that has been verbalized from the written word of God, it is not for God's benefit at all. It's completely for our benefit. God is completely selfless. This is also very important. God is unlimited. Everything God has as a resource is unlimited. Listen very carefully. God does not know the meaning of finite. A man does not know the true meaning of infinite. We have a bit of a definition. You know, in mathematics, you have this definition of infinity, infinity you have all of that, you even have a sign for it or for infinity, you know, you roll it across, you say it's infinity. One divided by zero, is infinity. You can't see. But, you know, we, do, we are just trying to find the concept for it, whether in mathematics, in philosophy, or, you know, in some other areas. But we don't really understand the concept of infinity. Just like God does not understand the concept of finity, of finite resources. The whole idea, listen very carefully, the whole concept of measurement, of measuring things, is a concept that has been given to you and I to help our brain not to bust. Because God no doesn't have that measurement. So what is your net worth? What is your height? Six foot one. What is your weight? What is your days? All of those measurements are given to us to help us so that our brain doesn't bust. But what is God's weight? What is your age? All these things are given to us to help us live life in this three-dimensional world. But all these measurements don't apply to the concept of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Every resource God has is completely unlimited. So, if you talk about, look at these scriptures. Write it down, please. Ephesians 3, verse 16. Paul was praying for the Ephesian church about power for God to strengthen them. And he said, I pray that from His glorious unlimited resources. If your Bible that you read at home is the new King James Version of the Bible or the King James Version of the Bible or anything similar or the new American Standard Version of the Bible or new American Standard Bible, NASB or ESV, English Standard Version, all of those kind of Bibles, it might say riches of His glory. So anytime you see that phrase in the Bible, the riches of His glory, the meaning is unlimited resources. Are you following? So anytime you see that phrase in the Bible, one of the things it means, say, according to the riches of His glory, what it means is unlimited resources. God is unlimited in every resource. Every resource you can think of. Every resource you can think of. You know, I've seen people that hear a testimony about somebody maybe, for example, having shoulder pain and God healed them of shoulder pain. Somebody, you know, they couldn't, they have back lower back pain, abdominal pain, and things like that, and God healed them. Then maybe they have a loved one or they themselves, they have cancer. The cancer is in stage three. The cancer is really, you know, gone over their body, gone through the lymph nodes and all of that stuff. And then you could see in the face, they're thinking, ah, can God do this? It is because of the wrong concept. So now they might have been in the church or had a preaching that says God is a healer. God is a deliverer. All of this is true. But if you have not built it on the foundational concept of God, these four foundational concepts, which is number one, speak to me, holy, number two, number three, God is the one, number four. If you have not built it on this foundational concept about God, you will shake. But if you build it on the foundational concept, you know that, God is unlimited. You are the one that thinks, in our own concept here today, cancer is a lot more dangerous than fever, particularly last stage cancer, in our concept here in the world today. But from God's concept, cancer, fever, headache, they are all afflictions that respond to the power of God by getting out of the person's body. Do you understand what I've just said now? Unlimited. Unlimited. Listen to me. Uh, the the switches to some of these lights are on the wall there. Okay, so I press that switch; they pump one of the lights; they come on. But that's not the whole power in this building. That is just the power that has been sent to that particular switch. You understand? All the power that healed somebody of his shoulder pain—it's not the power. It's not all of the power available. It's just the power that has been appropriated. did you, did you understand the concept I'm teaching you? Please understand this understand this god is unlimited in everything in resources this is also good because if you ever lose anything in life there's a thing that goes on in your mind that oh my goodness i lost that job and that was my dream job oh god and i've always wanted to work in the bank at that level and now i got this job i don't understand what happened and i lost that job how am i ever going to ever get another job no don't think that way remember god is unlimited in every resource Is unlimited in every resource. Oh, this guy that I met, the guy is so nice, he's so good, and everything. The only simple, small, like some ladies would say, the only small problem is that he's not really a Christian. That's not a small problem. That is the terminal cancer problem. (laughs) And it's the only small reason a Christian if I now have to leave him now, oh my God, what will I now do? And, you know, it took me four years. I wasn't going out with anybody. Then I now met this guy. Well, it's like that's the only guy that's left on planet Earth. What am I now going to do? God, remember, is unlimited. Unlimited. Never forget that. Okay, we're going to explore the meanings as we go But look at it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Is able to accomplish infinitely more than you can ask or think. Infinitely more. Infinitely more than you can ask or think. Never forget that. God... It's unlimited. It's able to do infinitely more than you can ask or think. It's unlimited in everything he can do. Friends, these four concepts, you can build on it later on. Later on in life, you can hear a message on God is a healer, God is a deliverer, God can restore, God is a lifter of men, God is a rewarder, God is a promoter. All of this is true. All of that is true. But if you don't have these four foundational concepts, if you don't have the concept of the Father, God is love, you will never believe that you will use his unlimited power for your personal situation. Because you think, why will the God that created the whole universe? Why will he be interested in me? But when you understand that, because God is love, that's what makes him both immanent and transcendent. Transcendent means he's completely outside of his creation. Immanent means like Emmanuel. He has come to dwell within his creation to help his creation. Are you following what I'm saying? So it's the teacher that sets the exam. Okay? But it's also the lifeline you can call for help. Now, you know, in a regular Sunday, particularly Young Girls' Church, these are a lot of things you want to you will hear. You will hear seven ways you can meet a guy four ways, four things to do at the beginning of your relationship, five things, and there's nothing wrong with all of that. I've taught on all of that too before, and I'm still going to teach on it this year. But if we don't put the foundations of real Christianity in place, people's lives are never stable. Okay? What makes life stable are these things. This is what will make you stable as a, as a person, as a Christian, when you have the right concept about who your God is. Can we walk through these four things again quickly? Is that all right? foundational concepts about God. Number one, what is it? God is holy, and it means two things we've spoken about today. What's the first one? Is absolutely yeah. pure. He has absolute purity and absolute yeah. integrity. Thank you very much. The second concept, foundational concept about God that we've learned today is that God is yeah. just. And what does that mean? Is absolutely committed to His laws and principles. Thank you very much. He's absolutely committed to his, You know, the third principle we've learned about God today is that God is... God is love. God is love. Okay? Two important things about that. God is loving by nature and is not loving you and I because we're lovable, but because he is love. Right? Will the God, love of God for you ever increase? Will he ever decrease? Will he ever increase? It's stable. It's everlasting love. But your love and my love for God in responding to his love for us is the one that is variable. Make sense to us? And finally we've learned about God today that God is in all of his resources is unlimited. That's why then the statement in the scripture that says, For with God all things are possible. You see how it makes sense now? Stand on your feet like a champion.